Welcome to Office Talk, a fortnightly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with leading architects about their approach to business, marketing, and communications. I'm your host, Dave Sharp, an architectural marketing expert and director of Office Dave Sharp, a marketing practice offering specialized consultancy, marketing, and PR services tailored to meet the particular needs of architects. Visit officedavesharp.com to learn more or follow the practice on Instagram at officedavesharp. Joining me on the show today is Jonathan Richards and Kirsten Stanisic from Richard Stanisic, a 20-person interior design and architecture practice based in Sydney. In this episode, Jonathan, Kirsten and I discuss the journey of establishing the Richard Stanisic brand after 15 years operating as SJB Interiors Sydney. We looked at the strategic challenge of designing a new brand that could convey a sense of experience, stability, maturity and knowledge. We talked about the importance of a consistent and creative approach to project photography. They shared their thoughts on fostering long-standing client relationships and the importance of repeat business and referral from their existing clients. And finally, we talked about the evolving definition of luxury in the Australian residential market, focusing on uniqueness, longevity, and personalization over extravagance. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jonathan Richards and Kirsten Stanisic from Richard Stanisic. Kirsten and Jonathan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having us, Dave. Thank you very much for having us, Dave. Oh, this is very exciting to have you guys here. So I guess it's just always good to start with a little bit of a background uh, on the studio. And Richard Stanisic has quite a unique background and sort of emerged as a new brand, but not as a new practice five years ago. And, And I think it's different to a lot of other people that have been on the podcast. So would you mind just speaking a little bit about the sort of the history of the practice and and where the Richard Stanisic brand sort of came from? I'd be happy to. Kirsten and I have been working together for something like 20 years, designing together. We were working with SJB. We were partners of SJB Interiors. And five years ago, we left SJB and we started to operate under our own name. So we're under Richard Stanisic. At that time, we we continued working with our clients. We were lucky enough. It was an unusual situation where we were lucky enough to continue operating as usual. So we retained our staff and our clients and we actually stayed in the same building where we are in Crown Street, Surrey Hills. So it sort of didn't feel like a very big physical shift. It was a very big mental shift and a shift in our sort of psychology of having a business and, and running our own practice. But physically, it wasn't a big change. And to our clients, it was very important to us that there was a definitely continuity between what we were and what we were going to become. Having said that, it was a very big step for us. And we're now coming up on September the 1st, we'll be five years in practice as Richard Stanisic. That's exciting. Yeah, we've we've had um, SJB on the podcast before, but they have this sort of unique kind of structure of lots of separate practices operating sort of quasi-independently or totally independently, I suppose, and then they get together and make decisions and stuff yeah. like that. So that's that's kind of an interesting model. But so for you guys, I mean, there was so much independence mm. there even under the under the kind of SJB flag, right? Like from your client's perspective, they weren't necessarily thinking, oh, we're dealing with the big national SJB kind of brand or, or whatever. They were they were thinking of just you guys and your team, right? I think sometimes it was a, a bit of a mix, but a lot of the time I think it was really about our clients dealing with people. And so I think to a level it comes down to the person, the, the designer, the architect that they're working with that they become really connected to. So while there were still some projects that were branded SJB that might have been more, they were more tricky to to re-present out there, I guess, it was very much about 
the people and our clients' relationship with with the people. Yeah. When you were in that position of becoming independent and and going through the rebrand, you're doing the thing that's kind of the traditional thing of sort of putting your names mm-hmm. on the door and previously they hadn't been. It's kind of the mm-hmm. opposite. You know, a lot of studios normally start with a name on the door and then eventually they go, oh, maybe we need to think of something a bit more kind of a bit more loose to kind of capture all, everybody. But were you nervous about having a sort of a public sort of personal, a, a bit more of a personal brand or, or director brand for, I guess, sort of the first time, even though you're well known in the industry, but to make it kind of the thing that's on the front door for the first time, was that a little bit scary even at that stage mm, of the career? Um, I didn't, no, I must say I didn't find that scary. I felt like that was the right way to do it, Dave. I think my take is that often young practices start with an abstract name and it's often it's often part of the grab, it's part of the branding grab to actually have something that doesn't put their own personal names out there also because they may not be very well known, but it's more about trying to make a, a real catch with the, 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 the brand name itself. And for us, that wasn't really what we were about because we actually had been in the industry for quite some time. We had a lot of people who knew us, not just our clients, and we'd had roles in the industry and we sort of had some sort of level of prominence, but we were part of a bigger organization. So to us, it felt we did definitely consider with our branding consultants, we looked at names like abstract names that were just sort of something that would somehow encapsulate what we're about but we found that really what we needed to do was try to minimize the sort of severity of the transition if that makes sense like we really tried to just try to make it feel to our clients particularly that we were very um, keen to kind of keep working with that they were seeing that we were taking control of the situation and the names having our names on the door really meant that they were working with the partners and and um, it wasn't, for me anyway, it wasn't something that I was nervous about at all. It felt like the natural thing to do. I guess there's some part of me, and I think this happens to a lot of creative people, where they feel like, am I going to do everything? Am I going to name this the way everybody names their businesses, whether it's a law or accountancy or architects, and just put our names on the door? So there was something disappointingly predictable about it, but at the same time, it's what we needed to do. Oh, do you know what? I was actually nervous. Are I you? still I still get nervous about go. it, but I think it's nervous in a really good way because one of the key kind of fundamentals to doing it is really saying to people, we are, it's our practice and you will be seeing us and we are putting our reputations against the work that we deliver in the practice. And, you know, I think for us, we felt that fundamentally we wanted that to be really clear. So I'm going to say, yeah, there was always yeah. a bit of nerves because you can never quite, um, you, you really you really are saying that you'll do it. You can't hide behind initials or an abstract name or anything else or it's us, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's true. When you've got your name on the door, you can't kind of. Run away. You can't shrug away from yeah. it. Yeah, which, which you potentially could if you had just a, a word, but not that we'd, not that yeah. we'd do it. But it's, it, it is Open taking it. ownership of yeah. the um, the sort of situation in a way, yeah. not just the business, but the, the situation. Yeah. And, and after that change, did you start to r- sort of ramp up the the public presence a little bit of the of the two of you as directors, sort of talks and juries and you know interviews and podcasts yeah. and all that sort of stuff? Like, what, does that feel like maybe to inject a bit more of that? I mean, I personally, <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, if I was in the, the shoes, I'd be like, oh, I'm, I need to yeah. be the you know the rainmaker yeah. now. And well, even though you already were, but it's just there's something about the name. Yeah, no, you know? no, I didn't. I mean, again, Kirsten and I might say this, might say this um, differently, but. I didn't at all feel that. I didn't feel as though I felt I felt quite confident about what we were doing and I felt like I thought that we didn't need to ramp it up. In some ways I wanted to take it easy and just like smoothly transition and keep continuing doing the work. I had a lot of confidence in 
our work and our ability and our team who, as I say, were continuing to work with us, I actually thought it would, I think I would feel more awkward about rebranding and at our stages in our lives, trying to make a song and dance about who we are to drum up business. It didn't feel like that situation. It felt mm-hmm. like just keep moving forward because it felt like having, like we were there, we were at SJB for, I was there, I think about 15 or 16 years. You were there for even longer. And it, it felt like we'd done our dash there. You know, it felt like we'd, we'd, um, we'd ha- that, it was a great organization. It still is. And there's so many friends and mentors that, um, helped us and worked with us over the years, but it felt like this was the right thing to do. I think to a certain extent we, we, we'd worry, oh, my God, does people think they're dragging those two out again? So there was probably a bit more where we actually got a bit, we probably took ourselves away a bit, maybe from the, the comms and the media by that point. We do like to do a lot of things within the industry, like getting involved in practice talks or practice you know, different groups or juries or things like that, and I think we've continued. We were doing that before and we continue to do that now, but... Um, we do be mindful that, you know, the people don't want to, don't always want to see these two dragged out everywhere. Yeah. I, I do think also it's a, <laughs> it's a very common kind of uh, decision that designers or creatives make is whether they, they um, are part of a bigger organisation and in some ways have the, some sort of comfort there and know that there's probably a good supply of projects and um, a good support team and things like that or whether you take that sort of leap and and go out on your own and put your name on your door and, and be the operator and that that is that's a fundamental choice that is that a lot of I mean pretty much all all creatives have got to make is about what what type of designer or architect or that I that I want to be and how how do I want to sort of feel as though I'm contributing best to both the projects the clients the team and then ultimately themselves I mean it seems like that starting that stage those 15 years to sort of incubate the practice with the support of a, a larger sort of practice network. I mean, it seems like such a unique situation, but I mean, that sounds pretty great as sort of a, a, a way to develop and build a practice, build a build a kind of group of clients and things like that. It's not something that I come across that right. often. Yeah, yeah. The the story that 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 you guys have and and sort of the origin of the practice. So it's really interesting in terms of becoming independent and then the opportunity that that gave you to start doing things differently and making different decisions and, and being, you know, acting, having that, taking advantage of that independence. What were some of the things that sort of changed? I mean, you guys went from sort of more of an interiors focus to architecture and interiors sort of focus. Mm. Just, just interested in anything that you started doing well, differently uh, as part of a new brand. I think one of the big things is in principle um, being independent. Clients came to us with an understanding that we were, we were running the entire project. We weren't didn't need to be bought in under necessarily another lead architect or lead consultant for the role. So I think in a sort of overall viewpoint, you get a better, bigger, putting it simply, a bigger bite of the cherry so you can provide more um, specialised service. But from that too, we're able to, you know, we've always been, we're architects and we've always been interested in architecture. And as part of the SJB group, you know, we were interior, interior practice, we weren't the architects, but this has allowed us to really start developing up that and exploring that that field again of something that we hadn't been doing. Um, we'd been doing small bites of it, but to really actually start sort of honing our practice in that area as well, I would say that was one of the biggest 
Yeah, changes. I think I, I really enjoyed um, the ability to create a brand as well. And I know that um, we're talking a bit about brand yeah. here, but I I think that that's not easy to do in a bigger organisation because there, there are other partners and there's different cities or whatever. And sometimes the it's, it's not quite as new, but it's not quite as sort of agile to, to be able to make quick decisions about brand. And Kirsten and I being able to determine kind of like how we're portrayed and how and and the vision and the, just the colors and things like that that we we that constitutes our brand was a really kind of great experience to, to establish and as Kirst says a big thing for us is as as architects ourselves but, but but are principally interior designers it felt right to be able to be doing the architecture as well and we by no means have aspirations for being big architects it's small architecture and it's an extension of the interiors but it's um, feeling confident about being able to move into that realm. Just quickly on that, as a bit of like an aside on the architecture and interiors thing, and then we'll get back into sort of the different ways that you guys could be kind of independent. But it feels like at the moment, it's seeing a lot of studios on the architecture side that are sort of announcing, oh, now we are also interiors and we also do interiors. And then there's a lot of interior studios that are saying, now we're also architecture. And it's sort of, they're they're all kind of meeting in the middle a little bit, or it seems like it's becoming... um, think a lot of people are sensing that there's um there's kind of uh demand that yeah. clients want to get both from one place or something like that i don't know i just love your opinion on it in terms of you seeing other people kind of maybe do you agree that it's becoming like a little uh, bit of a more uh, common thing recently? i really agree Definitely. yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I think it probably comes to the fact um say when we started in i came up to sydney 25 years ago or whatever it was a long time ago Interior design was still really in its infancy as a kind of standalone profession, I think. And it was starting and it probably started through some of those, you know, big profile hospitality kind of projects where everyone's like, wow, an interior designer who really understands the detail and the scale and the energy of a space can really do something pretty amazing that's going to actually have be beautiful, be aspirational, but also have a great commercial outcome. I think multi-unit has probably added to that as well when, you know, there's been a lot of spaces. And then, of course, it's been, you know, digital, you know, internet, Pinterest, um, Instagram, where these images has made interiors has really become much more valued as, 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 a, as a profession. And then I think once it gets more valued, it gets more specialised and then people start to see the difference between a really specialised hand as compared to, you know, a less familiar hand with that area. So I think interiors has grown as this, is this really uh, uh, aspirational and valued kind of um, a profession or, you know, outcome. And then I think from that architecture is probably, architects are probably focused on understanding, you know, because we have found as interior designers, you know, which 20 years ago never would have happened, but the interiors are leading the project over the architects, not always, but sometimes they are, which I'm sure for a lot of architects, they would be thinking, let's let's rethink this and let's get involved in it again. And I think, I, I actually think it's a, a, a positive for both of them. As, as long as the quality of the work is good, it's it's really great. I mean, Kerry Hill or one of those sort of practices do the most amazing architecture and interiors. And, you know, if everyone was working to that quality, that's a pretty great outcome. Mm-hmm. So I think it's sort of the way of, you know, valuing these things and, and what people spend obviously on construction is dramatically different to what it was even 30 years ago. The industry itself has probably seen its architecture and interiors together for quite a long time, and it's essential. The interiors and the architecture are are really one, and whether they're two different practices working on the one project, really there's there's a continuity there 
whether they like it or not, that, that relates to one another. But I think a lot of practices, interiors and architecture, acknowledge that. The reality is they're trained differently. They're, they go through university and there's a different, different method of training and different colleges and different things. So they come out and they're actually, they almost comes out as two different schools, which over time they have to merge. And it, you're absolutely right that it is as an industry. And also, again, it's driven by clients. Clients are seeing it more as one total service in a way, one total design result. Yeah. I, I think in some ways, though, it might be um, easier said than done to just suddenly start offering the other side of the service. Yes. Yeah, do you know what? It, it's, a yes. Long, it's, yes. it's, it's, it's a long profession. It's a long game what we all do. It takes a long yeah. time to learn and to practice and it doesn't happen overnight. So whatever you do, you do want to spend a lot of time practicing it to yeah. get there. Yeah, I think I think sometimes there's a bit of a kind of grass is greener vibe with it and it looks yeah. from the yeah. outside. Oh, I mean, how hard could it be to, you know, do architecture or do interiors? Yeah. We already we already do it. We already do so much of it. Why not just um sort of yeah. make it part of the brand? But there's uh there's quite mm. a lot to that to, to the, oh, the specialty yeah. so we, of those two areas. We've yeah. done a a few new build houses now, we're working on a few more. And I have to say, honestly, we're taking it very, very carefully because yeah. I feel very exposed as well, being a <laughs> well-renowned interior practice doing exactly what you're su suggesting and putting our foot in the water of new build architecture and feeling looked at, you know. So I must say they're kind of like, um, they say designers and architects, really their main concern in life is really what their peers think. Yes. And I think it's true. Like we really are quite careful about it because as you say, it's not easy and it's certainly not easy for architects to step into interior design either. It's there's there's a world for each of them, so it's hard to sort of just be able to be experts at both. Mm. We were talking about brand a lot, but I mean, we love talking about brand, so let's let's kind yeah. of get into <laughs> it. You're talking about like the language, and I guess a little bit the positioning and the and the, the the visual side of it, the brand identity. I mean, what were some of the other, I guess, like really important decisions you guys made in the in the brand that sort of set it up well for you? Because you're obviously in a great position. You weren't, although the brand name was starting from scratch it had history it wasn't mm. you know it wasn't made up out of nowhere you, you, people had that brand familiarity you also had the resources which is uh, oftentimes mm. not what people have when they're starting their kind of brand thing yeah. they've got a 500 hundred dollar budget and they have to you know yeah. make it go really <laughs> far kind of thing so yeah. just um in in some respects i think that was you know you're in a great position when when you were doing it to do it pretty much however you wanted to go about it. So just, mm. yeah, curious, what were some of the main kind of decisions that got made? I think the office culture, I mean, culture is that funny word that people, what, what does culture actually mean? But I think setting up a studio um, with people and how it's laid out and how we work and how it feels inside the studio is really important as part of our brand that, you know, there's a sense of energy when you come in here that is very much what we want to be reflected of of um, Richard Stanisich. So I think that was a very important thing to us. And it's, a, it's a, you know, work, it's going to be a work in progress till the time we, you know, eventually close up. It's, ne it's never static. It's just about making this thing grow it and, and make it great and have great people and great outcomes and, and work it from there. I think it's a major thing. Yeah, and, and to do, so far as the brand, the the aesthetic brand or the, I guess, the um, the branding exercise as well, that, that was really, there was, what we wanted to do was convey some image of, I guess some maturity, which sounds boring, but it's really mm. important that our that we wanted we wanted our brand to capture a sense of experience. And we're not young; <laughs> we're sort of starting a business at our age. It's it's something that we really wanted to sort of convey somehow that there was experience and knowledge and stability about that. 
um, without being staid. And a really important part about our brand is our photography, like all designers and architects, is the photography of our work. And we have principally worked with one photographer for all of our projects. And that was a really important part of our brand is that we felt we wanted to we wanted our work to be shown to have consistent consistency to it and, and also in a way that we really love. So the photography captures the mood and the feeling of our spaces and we don't really jump between photographers because we also see them as a critical part of our team you know and they are they are as much about uh, uh, us and our team as anyone so capturing the image and the mood of our projects in a very constant way from project to project so that somebody gets on our website or on our instagram or whatever and they can immediately identify our work was um super important yeah and that continuity so were you and Felix, Felix Forrest is a photographer that you guys are typically using. We can we can beep yeah. his name out or something if we're trying to not, no, uh, not, at not all. let him get I too busy. Mention him. No, yeah. Felix, no, not at all. I was like, are we trying to keep him under wraps or something? No. That's not going to last very long. <laughs> Were you working with Felix on your projects before the transition to the new brand name as well? Is, there, is that an element of continuity also? Or was it sort of once we made the transition to the new brand, we started working with Felix and then it's been like that ever since? We were already working with him and it was... Felix's photography for us, it's not sort of bright, happy magazine shots. You know, it's got a lot more, for us, it's got more depth and mood and darkness and sort of a richness about them that we love. And it probably limits the amount of time we're going to be published in magazines because it's not as, there's not a lot of styling. There's not, a, there's, there's sort of, in some ways, it's, they're sort of emptier, they're emptier photographs, but they're very sort of beautiful and serene and it's kind of what Kirsten and I often talk about as our style, our, not just as a photography style, our style of design and he really captures that and he was working with us at SJB and he's continued to work with us and he's now actually overseas and he he, he will come and visit and shoot the project still so it, it still continues. Yeah, probably agree that there's still a really big market for that type of imagery, right? Like that sort of yeah. more restrained darker, moodier, more emotive sort of style of photography. I mean, I think a lot of us, that's like our, our preferences for that sort of yeah. imagery. But And publications feel like they're kind of going, some of them go in that direction, yeah. but there's still a lot of the other type that you're kind of talking about there for sure. Which is great. Like I, I think it all re- relates to the brand. It's, it's not for a second um, dissing any other sort of style or anything like that. It's just for our work and our image and our style, it really captures it. And he's done some shots that we think are absolutely beautiful and, and really represent us. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I do think that you see more... You see more of that and more, I guess, independent publications, but you see more more of that sort of richness of space. And I mean, ultimately, the spaces we're moving around in and experiencing all the time, whether they're architect designed or not, there's shades of dark and light and there's nighttime and there's all these other moods that happen every single day. And it's not all overly exposed, brightly colored, you know, and it's those sort of darker moments that I think really sort of come into our project photo shoots. Kirsten, going back to the space a little bit, it was really interesting that you mentioned that as the first thing that came to mind when we were talking about the brand. It's so important. It's it's really important. And, you know, we've got a small team, we've got 20, 20 21 people. And I think for us, you know, when you're in a, when you're with a bigger organization, there is a lot of different personalities and different, you know, different viewpoints of how the actual studio should run and feel and sound and smell and who should be answering the phones and what's the front door experience. And so, 
um, you know, you've got to be, to, to be much more kind of communal in your attitude, I think, towards um, when you're a part of a bigger group. When you're smaller, you know, we can be quite interested in how it feels when you walk into the front door of the studio, um, how many meeting rooms we have, what size the meeting rooms are, what we, you know, saw as value to spend, you know, even down to, you know, it almost sent us broke when we opened, but we're like, you know what, we love, always wanted these cab, casino cab chairs and let's just buy a meeting room chair that is going to not only do us till the day we drop, but someone else can use it after we've finished. They've got a longevity to it. But it's pretty hard when you're with a group of 100 other people to convince them they're not going to spend that sort of money on it. You're Not everyone agrees with us. Not everyone has the same viewpoint. So even down to having details like that where you can say that's important to us. You know, we have beautiful shelving from Boffy in the office as well that can be removed and Put anywhere it's not fixed but again it comes with a cost and a and a um, coordination that's much harder to pull off if you're part of a bigger group but being smaller um, allows those things to be possible even down to you know I think the first thing we did in the kitchen is like I don't want this kitchen crockery to feel like a student house anymore I want all just you know we just yeah. want clean white crockery yeah. and it's always got to yeah. be available in the it's same nice type cutlery nice cutlery have to sit down yeah for lunch with a knife and fork and like, all the wine glasses civilized. match all the glasses <laughs> match you know nice things in the meeting room and that sounds so simple but you know for 20 years I've really wanted that and it's like you know when it's it's, you know, like oh, going from a share house to, you know, your single house, you can grow up and you can have those nice things. And then it's also down to, you know, how we want to celebrate events with our, um, with our guys or, um, you know, things that all of those different things that we, you know, that we want to do, you can really be quite expressive as this is our vision for, for it. And, you know, what's been important to us, I mean, as I say, it's, it's a constant growing um, and changing and thinking and looking at what you've done and what we might have been doing five years ago, of course, has evolved and we've thought about it. But, you know, for any design or architecture practice, really one of the key fundamentals is you want to have work with really great people and you want those great people to stay in your studio for as long as possible and for them to love it. So it's about working on a culture that we hope um, kind of um, generates that kind of response from the people in the team. And then the day-to-day for John, I get, John and I is just we really want to come to work and just love coming coming to work every day. So you just want work to kind of be a, the detail of work to be a total pleasure. Um, and so you can kind of set those things up to be exactly how you want them to be to allow those things to happen. So if you guys have your half a million dollar marketing budget and you you put the first 490,000 <laughs> into your um, cutlery and yeah. chairs and kitchen. stuff, kitchen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. probably yeah. the right way to spend it really. You know, yeah, it's probably 400 into the kitchen, 100 into Felix Forest and then we're pretty much good yeah. at that point, right? <laughs> that's, right. that's right. Well, we also did, so when you walk into our office, there's some open shelving right by the front door. And it has all that cutlery, all the all the crockery and the cutlery and the plates and everything. And it was, it's not only did we spend it, spend the money on it to put it there, but it does say something about hospitality to our clients and people that visitors that are coming in. And that was a conscious thing that it felt like we there's a community that. inside. We believe in the hospitality. We're going to look after you. Yeah, I think it also says like that maturity. It also says we're here to stay. You know, yeah. we're we're invested. We're serious. It's it's. And it's also distinctiveness, isn't it? I mean, it's it's your own way to sort of express your your own you know personality mm. as as designers and as a brand, and it 
creates a different experience to what a client might get walking into maybe you know two or three other designers yeah. offices potentially and you're yeah. creating a creating your own experience so no i love it i think it makes i think it makes sense i think the office is probably an underrated yeah. element it's so old school but it's uh yeah. you know <laughs> it's yeah. fundamental no, that's really cool i'm just wondering quickly on the on that period and the thinking about maybe some other ways that you're able to start navigating things a little bit differently i'm i'm a little bit interested in diversification or project type as did anything change around that obviously starting to do things like new builds that you're kind of doing more of currently mm. and things like that but also commercial hospitality residential so having a good kind of mixed sort of base of work and also just curious about uh, any anything to do with being being able to maybe be more selective about the type of work that you took on or, mm. or maybe not more selective but selecting something else perhaps like having mm. more preference about certain type of project you're going for and maybe not doing other types that you might have kind of done previously? I think you can absolutely be more selective because there's just two two of us, John and I, and if we go and meet a new client and we come back and say, look, there might be a huge fee in that project, but I don't think it's us. Like, I just don't think it's us. The two of us can just say, do you know what? Let's not do it. And that's okay. When you're When other people are relying on you it may be a huge architecture project where for the architects it's an amazing opportunity even though the interiors might not be aligning with us you are in a position you've agreed basically as part of a group to do that but when there's two of us it's two of us agree and it's okay and we can leave that so I think we are you know we spend a lot more time being selective about the projects that we work on or who might be involved in the project team and does it align you know does their outcome or their you know outcome for the project align with what we will want our outcome um, to be so I think that that has been a major um, a, you know a major thing for us which has been really beneficial because we we did also you know have a kind of another sort of driver behind it is we don't have this idea of bread and butter projects every project that we bring into the office you know is all equal and if we're taking it in we're doing it because we love it we aren't doing it because we need cash flow to pay for a practice we're really in in it because we're doing every every project because we want to work with that client and we believe in what they're doing and we want a great outcome. So I think the size of it or the you know the relationship John and I have as 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 uh, working sort of business partners has allowed us to do that and we're very very aligned I think with what we want to get out of the practice. That I don't think we've really had any fights. No, I mean we've had some fights, but not real, <laughs> not fights like that, not real fights. No, no, not fundamental, not fights on any fundamental. No, not any issues. disagreements yeah. like that. No, yeah, no. Yeah, I think probably when you're smaller, and I appreciate we're not totally small at twenty people, but when you're a, a scale and you've got like ours, and you have a smaller portfolio of work, you you sort of set a benchmark to prospective clients where they they see the names on the door, they see the work and there's a direct understanding of what we do. And I think sometimes bigger practices, there's not always that understanding externally what they do. And so that, you know, it can attract a more varied clientele. Whereas we find that the people that come to us, by and large, pretty much on our level, you know, they're pretty much, they're sort of, they, they, they can see us, they know who we are, they see our work and they come in because they understand what they have in mind for their project would align with us, which doesn't always happen with other bigger practices that are, the work may not be as 
clear or it's a little more anonymous, put it that way. I would say that also doesn't happen with most small practices. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like, okay. You know, right. where you're talking about uh, quite a varied clientele, hard to really understand what they do, quite a messy range of bits and yeah. bobs that they've sort of taken on and done and, and it's not completely curated or selected in terms of mm -hmm. what they show. But I, I think what you're talking about there is that's that's the nirvana. Everyone's trying to. That's what everyone wants. They oh, want right. to get to that point. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. and um, whatever. We're having a marketing chat. Who cares? We'll just. In, <laughs> we'll, I'll embrace it. Hopefully, you guys will be okay with it. I think when I ask guests on the podcast about this topic, a lot of the time it's a sort of bit of an unintended thing. Uh, and quite often, people will say, "Well, we we didn't really have a strategy. We just." focused on doing a few things well it wasn't a formal strategy per se but that's what we did and we feel like that's contributed towards getting to that point where people can kind of see what we're about from the outside but so in terms of asking you about your strategy I'm okay for it to just be some uh, sort of a loose set of things that we do but I wonder if there's a few things maybe they're things we've already discussed so far talked about the consistency and imagery and all sorts of things but are there a few things that you think really contribute to that getting those clients that are just they know what you're about they know what you do and they're on your level I mean look I think um because we do do uh, you know we do like to do a variety of different work type we do you know single residential multi-residential hospitality we do some commercial sort of more corporate work so I think that is important to us creatively, I guess, that we keep doing diversity around that area. So uh, in some respects, there would probably more for a retail project or even a hospitality project, we might end up looking at that with a lower case on the fee than we would with a different area because we have to be competitive with the market to do that, even though our costs might be higher or, you know, we make a decision about that because we want to make, you know, we do just want that variety in the work we do even just for John and my own headspace and our own development as well so there is I guess you know there's there's some deliberate kind of thinking behind that aspect of it as well but I don't think we're always we're not out marketing ourselves in particular areas and sometimes I mean even in commercial work we haven't really marketed ourselves that much I think we do get some of those clients that either like our residential or hospitality that come to us mm. from that side mm. but the strategy there is a strategy but we don't sort of sit down and have markers like physical markers against it every review it every quarter and say this is where we're at and this is the um, different work that we've got it's probably also that our our, our client base is a lot of uh continuous clients uh, over lots of years mm. over uh, many projects and and a lot of the new clients are referred directly from those. So it's it's actually quite it's actually quite rare that we um, get a cold new client. Yeah, get a cold mm. new client. Mm. It's very rare that we actually get somebody who calls up and says, "You don't know me, but I'm." There are there are, as I say, some long term clients that have, uh, we've got fantastic relationship with, we're continuing to work with. But and then and then there's a lot of sort of referrals from that. So mm. um, yeah, Kirsten and I don't really. We don't really sit down and talk marketing. We we do talk about ones we really would like. To, we talk about projects that we would like to um, push um, from a publicity perspective. Um, ones that we think would be really interesting, I guess. interesting, and project us and it's new for us, and we're excited by and things like that. And uh, yeah, so it's it's. I guess it is a fairly sort of 
kind fluid. of, I don't know, fluid, but it's not, it's not really a big, a big thing. I know that sort of sounds, might sound a bit sort of pretentious, but it does, it does matter to us, of course. It, um, but it, it does happen and we're not really trying to get new work in that respect. No, and I, I love that. That's great because I think that sort of shows something about potentially the role of the big investment and effort that you make in, in, in brand and project mm. imagery and mm. having a PR agency and all this sorts of stuff around that. It's a lot of work and it's a big investment, but it's you're not measuring or quantifying the result of that in terms of how many cold calls did we get uh, yeah. in, in this month, <laughs> which it's not obvious to a lot of studios that the, that the benefit is more in terms of well, you were you were speaking kind of um, employee equity as well, like that their their sort of value and, and and the culture of the yeah. practice. But on the on the client side, I mean, even on word of mouth and referral, it's as much about I mean how you're perceived amongst that audience too, isn't it? Like in terms, oh, of- I think I think you will get far more work looking after your existing clients and your team than trying to market for new ones. You will just get it will happen. Like if you look after. If you look after the clients and really put the time in rather than looking around for new work, the work will come because you'll do that really well and they'll have another project or they'll refer you to someone else. And in some ways, you've really got to really got to look after them. You've got to take, take control of the projects you have and be dedicated to making them a success so that, so that the, the marketing isn't looking outside of what you've already got. You look, you look at what you've already got and that's... Um, that's including staff, and as you say, Dave, it's also it's in, it's internal, but it's also external, and just looking after the projects you have. Yeah. So then, the role that you feel that you know something like a a, a good article about the studio or a beautiful set of photos. Um, I'm, I'm interested in how you feel your kind of existing audience of clients engage with that sort of stuff or perceive yeah, that. Like, is that's it? A, that's interesting. Yeah. Because it's, it's. I had a client call me the other day who I have. We've worked with, I've worked with this particular client for probably 15 years mm. and he hadn't ever gone onto our website of ours to see our work. That, that happens a lot, I feel Never like. been onto our website. Oh, yeah. Never seen, never, and yep. knows us well. I meet him all the time and I have for all of those years. And he got on the website just recently and he said, you know what, John, I've just got to tell you, can I just give you a bit of advice? And I said, yeah, and he said, your photographs are shit. <laughs> and I said, really? And he goes, it's so depressing. It's so uh. dark and depressing. And he said, our house is so much nicer than you need. You need a rebrand or something like that. Oh, I said, wow. but you've been working us with, you've been working with us for 15 years and he's got new projects that we're continuing to. It has absolutely no bearing on our relationship whatsoever. But that sort of response to your question in that, how do our existing clients think about our brand? A lot of them are actually unaware of it. It's mm. true. They just, it's strange. They, don't really, um... they just, they know the projects we're working on and they know that they kind of, they like, hopefully they like what we're doing and they enjoy working with us, but they've never, they often don't actually spend a lot of time sussing us out. But maybe that's because we've got confident clients too in their own self. We haven't got... Yeah the clients that are keeping up, maybe yeah. not, they're not keeping yeah. up with the Joneses or whatever to be looking at it as much as the experience of, yeah. you know, I, I think that's funny. It's, I think it's true as well. They just don't even know. They haven't been to our website. They, over 15 yeah. years, never looked at any other projects. Just In a like, way oh, they don't so, care. Or they look at it and say, 
Oh, did you? I didn't know you did that. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I know someone's so oh, I never, did you, I never know. Did you yeah. do that? Oh, you did, oh, do you know that guy over there? He, oh, I never knew that. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're going to have to cut this part of the podcast out because you guys have basically told me new business, marketing for new business doesn't matter. Marketing for <laughs> no, existing no, no, no. clients doesn't matter. You're putting me out of a job. All my clients are going to be calling up going, oh, no, I was, uh, I was, I was, I was interested budgets. in that fee proposal no. that you gave me until we heard Kirsten and John's in- interview. And then no, uh, seems, that. seems no, that's not true because we, we, do get, we do get other people that get on and get very excited and, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so absolutely. Like we're that laughing is, at some of, some of them. It's more that we're laughing at some of our clients. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, they don't care. To us, it obviously matters. We wouldn't so have a much, name yeah. in our industry if we didn't really market ourselves and develop a brand we're really happy with and we talk about it all the time about how we're projected. So as understated as perhaps we like to sound, we're actually always thinking about how we're perceived both Internally again, but also externally with the brand and the projects and the photography and all of that. So it's, it is super important. And I mean, I think the other thing about the, um, you know, you put a value on, there is time and cost in, you know, paying for the photography fees and paying for the, you know, PR fees and things. There's also a lot of time that John and I spend on actually thinking about it and strategizing about it. And when we do a shoot, there's a lot of art direction that goes into mm. how do we want this shoot to look and it's not just turning up on the day and making it happen. There's huge amounts of time and effort mm. beforehand. But something, you know, it's sort of like the ultimate thing almost like, you know, when you're at university and you do a concept and you really want to present that concept in a, in a way. So a certain stage, going back for us personally with the photographs at the end is really giving really clarity to ourselves about what was the concept of that project and how can these photographs really kind of tell that story of the concept. And then I also think it's something about being able to now have work that might be 10 or 15 years old and we can still have that on our website or still be showing that to the clients. I think there's something incredibly valuable in that too, you know, especially in this age when we're talking about how we can make things have longevity, that excites me too, that you can start to have that whole sort of story that adds a whole nother dimension to what you can bring to your clients as well. Mm. Yeah, I think I think perhaps something in there that Kirsten was mentioning that is different to us to other practices than when, when we do shoot our projects, we often have some sort of reference or concept to the shoot itself. And so we will talk to Felix about perhaps an artist from 100 years ago or, or mm. a film that we want to capture the feeling of. There's always... There's always a sort of a tertiary reference that is not just about us and the project, but we say, we love, this is where the project began. These are the concepts. We took a lot of inspiration and we often start with something that's usually an historic, to be honest, there's usually an historic reference for, from a long time ago, whether it's, mm. as I say, it's an old film or it's a, it's a music or, or something like that. And we, we exchange a lot of imagery between Felix and us so that we build up some kind of story so that when the, the project is being shot, it doesn't look just flat as that's the project. It's capturing the mood of something else, mm. which is overlaid into the spaces. Mm. That's probably the best marketing tip that's like ever come up on the podcast, I feel. Because, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. because I, I mean, I speak to architects all day about photo shoots and, and stuff for, you know, for a living. No one ever, ever briefs the photographer they feel like it's a cardinal sin to have like a creative direction or a creative brief obviously we can talk about what we kind of want the shoot to be but that idea of showing them references and going we're trying to kind of go for this reference or this vibe or this yeah. you know space yeah. odyssey kind of aesthetic that's or whatever. exactly what we do yeah. so it's just um kirsten's had some 
great ones. I think of one recently that I had where I was really obsessed by the American painter Edward Hopper mm-hmm. and his very sort of solitary, moody uh, paintings of the 30s and 40s of people looking out windows with a shaft of light coming into the space. And we started at that point and it was of a bar and we said, let's just make this feel Hopper-esque. And that's not, that's not putting anything into the space that's from one of the paintings. It's more about the quality of the light and the really? placement of the furniture and the time of day and everything like that. And to anybody else, they don't really look at it and think, oh, that's very Edward Hopper-like. But there is a, to us it does, and there is something very unusual about the spaces when they're photographed like that because it is a, as I said, it's a tertiary, it's a third kind of, third sort of concept brought in. It's not us in the space, it's something else. But I think that's also the thing about, you know, that we do work, we've worked with Felix for I don't know how long, yeah, 10 years long or, yeah. and so I don't know if you could brief another photographer like that and get, because we know Felix and we work with him and we know the language that we all understand, we know where his talent lies, where ours lie. I think there's a respect about that so you can have those conversations and and um, he's open to it and he takes it on board. But I think you've got to be really careful if you, there's someone that you didn't work with or didn't know. It's almost like a movie set, isn't it, about mm. the producers briefing the film director and, you know, some directors are going to say, absolutely no way you're on my turf it's going to depend on the yeah it it really depends on the relationship and the respect and the and the um and the history between us so you could end up getting photographs that look too thematic I think if you briefed another photographer from the beginning so but I think for us that's that yeah that story we we you know like to run that story through it and create a sense of you know it's almost like we do do it a layer as if I'm thinking of this now. There's been a, there's a person in the space, and this and the concept usually comes from the idea that someone has been present in that space, even if they're not photographed in the space. It's not mm. just about placing objects in it in a space and creating that's true. a still life. Yeah, there's that's usually true. it's not like because like, we don't really no, shoot people in them, but no. you imagine somebody's just been in them. There might be yeah some sort of element that someone's mm. come through. Mm. We did one for uh, for Loftus Lane and. The, you know, the, the lobby is quite, you know, the ceiling's very almost church, church-like underground, very kind of sculptural, again, quite dark. But we did it with a whole lot of candles, almost Gothic style, and blew the candles out and Felix shot them with just the smoke from the candles. So it was kind of had this sense that someone had literally just walked past or the wind had come through or there was, you, you get that sense from the photograph in a very kind of abstract way, I guess. But, you know, it's really fun. Um, it's I mean, We were actually hiding under the table too. Felix had to take it and we had to all bob down. <laughs> so we were all screaming in laughter under the table, but the photo looks really serious <laughs> and um, quite eerie. But I think it's also, I think it's also what we're saying about the thing is like each part of your practice and what you're doing, you know, you just want to enjoy it. And then going to do these shoots and actually really making them a really fabulous part of the project and the full stop to that project for us is is incredibly satisfying. It's overwhelming. We get we I get totally overwhelmed and stressed out by photography because it can actually be a real fight on site to get shots done. The project's not finished. The client's not really happy about you having hanging around there. That you know a whole lot of other things come in. You know, Felix, not you know the the, the cost of the shoot some is quite overwhelming for some clients and a whole lot of different things around it. So they can be quite stressful, uh, stressful as well. I always think it must be like shooting a movie where everyone's got different 
everyone's wanting different things out of it and there's always this, the the you know the, the stress of of being on site and the cost of being there for a certain amount of time but it's something I think we've done a lot of now and we do you know it's a whole it's a whole area of you know, we learnt, we've learned so much about how you actually do it and how you make those. Maybe we could have a new arm for the practice, which is art direction. Yeah, I think so. Movie stills or something. <laughs> and are you, to sort of um, invest that much time and, and thoughtfulness and, and money into finishing and photographing a project, I'm guessing that uh, in a typical year, you guys probably pick your battles pretty carefully in terms of which projects or how many, the total number of projects mm. that you'd shoot mm. in a typical year, right? Uh, I think if we don't put a number on number, we just definitely all of our great quality projects, which is most of them, they do end up getting shot by Felix. So it might be a smaller, you know, we may have a display suite or something that we don't, which is something that maybe when the project itself is finished, we shoot with Felix, at the, make a choice to shoot it at the end. So we might be, you know, careful about that. But I, I'd say the majority of our projects we do get him to shoot them, actually. Didn't you say? Yeah, yeah, I do, and I, and we do have a, um, a pretty decent budget for it, and yeah. the, and we don't. In the end, that's what we do. You know, the, it, it's the spaces, and um, unfortunately, we don't get to go back to them sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's really our stock and trade and so we just feel like it's something that's worth spending money on yeah definitely there's just a bit of a school of thought that comes up on the podcast sometimes about selecting only a small portion Mm. of the projects and Mm. uh you know maybe shooting three projects a year that sort of thing and keeping it really like low numbers um whereas like a lot of smaller practices they tend to spread their budget or their time pretty thinly across maybe six seven eight different projects in, in a year and it's quite quite hard to do that and you certainly wouldn't be able to invest in the the styling and 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 maybe you know the, the as giving the projects as much love as uh, as you might be able to but but no you guys are shooting pretty much uh everything and going to photo shoots all the time well we are but we're not also finishing we're not finishing a whole lot every yeah, year yeah that's you know, what there's I a thought. lot of there's a lot of long projects in the office yeah. that take years so might be five to ten projects yeah which for business of sort of ours is around 20 that's kind of a reasonable if we were turning over lots of small ones that would be unfeasible yeah. you simply couldn't do that and so, we certainly didn't do it when we were young when we were you know yeah. our young days at sjb there's absolutely no way either we could have you know you got to think we're we're at the much later stage of our careers and mm. i know for people listening thinking it's an aspiration to work too and i think for us, that was important. That helps you get oh, there. I remember feeling just checking how many photographs the photographer was taking, yeah, conscious of the dollars for every yeah. shot. And I was like, we only need six shots. You know, when yeah. I started taking more, I was like, can you stop t- clicking yeah. the camera? We're not, we don't need any more. So but you'd, you'd be really watching Is it. Is that your third yeah, roll of film, mate? What are you doing? <laughs> that, was like a roller, that was a roll of film. Yeah, yeah, it's more expensive. Yeah, but as it was, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Just gave away my age. Uh. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. Because you mentioned these longer-term relationships and repeat projects with uh, with particular clients is such an important part of of the sort of the business of the studio. I just wonder if there's any. Um, I think people are always trying to understand repeat business, I guess, or in terms of how maybe I don't know if it's about finding the potential repeat business type clients. I think you just naturally find some of them that just tend end up kind of being the repeat business client. But um, aside from just doing a great job and taking really good care of them. In terms of maintaining those relationships beyond, is, is there anything that comes up as feel is sort of important to 
the maintenance of those relationships um, that, that's out of the ordinary or is it just, you know, we're going about our business, doing our thing and they just sort of pop up with a project idea every now and then and, and, and that's kind of how things happen. Like how does it, how does it go for you guys? Um, I think you need to be on the phone. To, you, you do need to build a relationship with them um, for, for the project to end well in a way that they would entertain the idea of repeat business. Mm. But I also think, uh, and that means being available. So I think that the, a lot of, a comment we often get from clients is that other designers they're working with, that the, the directors of the business or the owner of the business are just not available. And I think that's something that's pretty simple, but it's really important is to, to make yourself available within reason, obviously, but you really got to make yourself available. The other thing is we've experienced over the years, people get the bug for renovations and mm. um, construction projects. And even at the start of a project, when they think that they're only doing this house and they're not doing it again, it's such it's such a sort of emotional roller coaster that can end out end up so well that once the once it's finished, you know what, we can often finish the projects and say, we're going to hear from them again and not too far yes. away. And they, and we do, you know, they just, they want to do something else. They might, it might be, we've done their house and they say, I actually think we're going to do our office or I want to do this. And it's sort of, it is, it is looking after them to an extent, but if you can, if you can manage that relationship and you can come out with a successful outcome, they invariably want to do it again. I think it's almost like they go back to their normal life and feel a bit kind of Flat, yeah, flat. Like to, yeah, they just yeah. Like, oh, I want to do something else. And it's that's kind of what it is. The people that sometimes are the most unsuspecting and so you think, oh, they're never going to want to do this again. This is hell. But at the end of it, they've gone through so much and they've and the and if it works out well and the relationships are great and they've seen something build and they've it's the it's the kind of people side of it more than anything that they've gone through and really enjoyed. They say, I think we'd like to talk to you about sure, something yeah. else. They also learn a lot and on repeat ones they can often see as I go along, much more value in spending money in different areas as a, as a green client, they don't have the trust there, which might be about, you know, using the most amazing joiner, builder, and it's not necessarily on just feeling like they've got it priced at the beginning and that's how it's got to be. They have trust that it's not going to be, it's going to be not a cheap project, but they're going to get the best value for what they're doing because they trust that person and, and those teams and they're going to get the craftsmanship and the experience of the process that they'll love because when you do get to a level and you can work with some of these amazing builders and trades and um, it's really great, like yeah. it's really enjoyable yeah. and a lot of clients love that too when they see something done well and they know it's done well and, you know, they really enjoy it. Yeah, and they can see, you're right, like that they see the builder and the designer and everybody's and all the sub-trades and they're all working together to mm. make something really special and if you can keep that team and you keep those relationships together, invariably there's another job. Mm. <laughs> there is, yeah, and they actually the process of not having uh, full control over the design to some of them, you know, the ones that are really experienced, I had one that said to me, oh, I'm just hoping when I come through to the end of this project there's just a few things I didn't know what they were going to be and I'm just going to find them and it's going to be new and I'm going to be excited to see it. And that's a super experienced client about just wanting to get involved in the process and the designer delivering something. And that, I mean, that's so much fun and it's so good. Yeah, wow. I still feel like some of those things when you haven't built that trust on the first project, 
a lot of architects would um, agonize over fighting the client to get them to trust them to do certain things or whatever. But maybe it's like, you know, maybe maybe don't fight it so hard on the first project and we'll get them on the next one. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think I think another thing is to put your hand up when you fuck up. Yeah. That's, that's, that's how you get the trust yeah. from the client because that has happened to us plenty of times where yeah. we've caused something, it's our fault, and the best thing you can do is call them up and say, we've stuffed up, we want to fix this. And if... Obviously, you don't want too many of those, but if you do that and you expose yourself a little bit and they can see the way you run a business and they can see you've got, you're more intent on fixing the relationship or the situation than getting out of there and making as much money as you can, that's that's the way to kind of um, look after them. But also some of those things with the client where you think when you're younger, you think the client can only do it this way. As you get older, you realise that's just not the way it is. You can do things in so many different ways and retain the concept. Having that flexibility to redo it is great. You know, if you're serving someone beans for dinner and you could you could make the best bean dish there's ever been in the world, they just don't like beans. So just make something else for them, you know? And so that's with your clients as well. Like don't force feed them it's okay. Um, we're we're the you know we're the creative, so we should be able to do it so many different ways and go with it. And yeah, think about your relationship with being. But you know, needless to say, sometimes the your chemistry relationship with beans, beans, yeah, <laughs> beans. Um, but sometimes you know the relationships don't work. You know, client relationships they don't. So that's okay too. That you know. We've never, certainly can't say we've got a roll call of every every project being the most successful thing that's ever happened. So I think that's knowing when, you know, it doesn't work and learn from that for the next time that you work with another client about um, doing it differently. Yeah. you, Jonathan, you sort of mentioned that how the project ends is a really important element. Uh, I think that kind of comes up in, um, oh, I, I don't know, what was that big book ever, Thinking Fast and Slow or whatever, where they were talking about experiments where they found that, people could have an overall more unpleasant experience, but as long as the experience ended mm. positively, they remembered the mm. whole thing in a much more positive light. <laughs> and it's this sort of weird psychological sort of loophole in our brains. And I wonder if there's something like that that goes on because I I, I, I sort of meet practices that have this almost hospitality approach of going like, let's end the project with a with a celebration or a commemoration or something that's something that sort of brings us back together after it was a little tense, you know, through, <laughs> through that time. Um, and then there's other studios that they sort of just, you know, they hand, the, the keys get handed over, it's complete, then it's like, goodbye, see you later, never speak to, never speak to you again. And, and I think that second approach, it, it, it definitely doesn't leave the, I don't know if it leaves the relationship in as good of a place versus doing something a bit more, I don't know, or just maybe it's, do you guys like do anything like that? Any, any celebrations or any, any parties or drinks or anything? Or is it just like we do, we finish the project in a pretty anticlimactic way, but it, we just try to, you know, have things end on a positive note in, some, in, in as much as we can. We probably don't celebrate the end of a project nearly as much as we should. We don't do that, to be honest with you. No, we, we um, sometimes we'll, we'll usually have drinks or something like that with the client if it's their house it's, um, to end it with some of the team or if it's a, um, a hospitality project, obviously the whole office can get there and we enjoyed that. But it's more, it's not so much about a moment of celebration, an event. It's more about making sure for us, making sure that that level of communication and that sort of sense of ownership of the project from our respect, from our side, goes right through to the end. And because it's very easy as, as a project, is starting to sort of, come to a close 
to get distracted onto the ones you've just won and you just move on to those ones and you start doing the content, you get excited and you left that, you leave that client and that just sort of peters out and you're like, you're excited about the next one and you move on to that. And you don't really look after the one that's finished, but I think it's really important to check in with them even after they've moved in and check in, how's everything going? And it's like, it's, I mean, in some ways it's just sort of um, common sense and manners, but I, I, I feel as though we go through so much detail and such a deep relationship with our clients over such a long period of time. It feel, It is like it's a relationship and it feels very strange to just stop it. I personally just can't do that. I feel like I have invested far too much into it to just walk away and go on to the next one. So there tends to be, from our side, it just tends to be that um, you want to sort of, I don't know, catch up with them and give them a call and sort of see how everything's going. And that's what I mean by ending it well. It's not so much a a celebration moment. They often just don't end. It sounds Mm. weird, doesn't it? Yeah, they just don't end. They don't end in a way. (laughs) They don't end. Some of them? No, that's right. Like even when you're not working with some of the clients, we're still communicating them until the next uh, one comes along. It's yeah. just never ended. It just I know there'll be new, added things or something. We can't send the something. invoices for those in between times, but it's um, yeah. it never ends. But often that yeah, though at the new the next project they start the next project before they've finished yeah. the one before, yeah. so there's just no ending. Um, like that, it'd be wrong to say that happens on every every instance, but quite a lot of them. Quite do. a lot of them. They are just they just continue and they evolve mm. into friendships and. I've just come back from a trip overseas with my family with some clients that we did a project for in um, Sydney and they lived overseas and we've become really, become really close friends. And it's, it's a really, it is a pretty special experience to design someone's house or design someone's um, business whatever business or, or whatever. Yeah. It is a very special kind of thing to go through and yeah. to have put so much thought into how to design it for them as individuals, you've really got to analyze them and analyze the project and, when you put all of that effort, and that goes for years, and it's just something you can't stop. You mm. can't just sort of end it. It's something that has to keep going. I'm interested in talking about your clients, uh, if that's okay, and sort of where you positioned in the market. I'm just kind of curious. I mean, the Sydney Sydney market, it obviously is a very very high end market. Everybody kind of is aware of that uh, residentially and and otherwise. But I, I've probably watched too many episodes of Lux Listings uh, Sydney, to, and it's given me a certain a certain image of Sydney real estate. And then mm. each of my clients and practices I speak to on the podcast is slowly debunking my my vision of what yeah. Sydney property <laughs> feels like. But I, I'm I'm interested in you know this this topic of um of kind of luxury and not luxury and uh, things being sort of more understated or quiet or loud or whatever. And sort of there's a whole there's a whole spectrum of different approaches out there in the higher end of the market, isn't there? And I'm just kind of interested in terms of how you guys sit in the, the, the high end and how you how, how your clients are maybe in some ways distinct from uh, the more kind of, I guess, typical high end sort of Sydney real estate client. And I don't know, just any thoughts you guys have on the on the cool, quiet, luxe vibes? Well, I think the biggest thing that we talk about is everyone's definition of luxury is different. So there's not one defi- definition to it at all because our definition would be creating something beautiful and elegant and, you know, it has lovely longevity and might be retaining most of what's there and, you know, that might mean one thing to us. Another person might think luxury means bling, it has to look like it has to look like the materials and it has to look like it costs a lot of money. That can be the definition of luxury and then it can be anything in between. It can just be, you know, huge, huge volumes of space 
Um, you know, people can define that as luxury even if there's nothing in it. Or So I think it's the first thing is we realise working with a lot of people that's, that's you know, and real estate agents have a very, generally a very different, you know, if they're selling a building when they define it as luxury really, I think they're generally talking about something that looks like it was expensive, defines itself clearly as being expensive, um, whether something understated is more expensive. So it depends where your client kind of is on those values and then what they value. And um, so what, what we could be providing to a service that we think is inc- a client that is incredibly luxurious, which might be, you know, sourcing five pieces of stone from a, you know, special opening up a quarry somewhere so we can retain the existing stone floor in their house by when we're taking out a wall that might cost as much as replacing the floor. We define that as luxurious, but um, so it's 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 a very it's a very different thing about what that is. I don't think we have many of the super bling clients. In fact, I don't think we've really got anyone that's that's no. not really our <clears throat> style. Um, and occasionally we do get someone that comes to us and we think, but do you really want us to do it? And they'll be, yes, we do, we do, and that can kind of be good too because we meet more in the middle and we end up doing something that pulls them back a bit towards us but pulls us out of our comfort zone a bit which can be really actually really great as well so there's all different um different aspects of what that that means but for us I, I, you know I, I like to think we're kind of more understated you know yeah I think so luxury. I think that 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 the clients that come to us at that kind of level if there was a commonality between them it is that they have an understanding of what might be that more commercial television sort of sense of luxury and they don't want that and i often i often think about with the budgets and the money people often spend on houses what or residences like why do they come to us because we are quite i i think we are quite understated in that market put it that way yeah, in that market um, yeah yep in that market we're understated and there is there is definitely an understanding, a commonality, as I say, between the clients. Whether they sort of they know what's around, they know they don't want part of that, and they are much more interested in our kind of approach of doing something understated, but also something very personalised, and nothing at all kind of cliche to just sort of doing something generally as kind of rich and luxurious, you know, in, in that sense. And I don't have any interest in doing that, and I know Kirst doesn't either. It's got to be a lot more sort of more sensitive and. Um, more responsive to the to the to the client and the site really wow i don't even have a follow-up question for that that's awesome (laughs) (laughs) but do you know what's interesting though it is interesting over the period of it's it's 25 years uh, 25 years for me being in sydney the way the world has changed in terms of the money people spend on property is absolutely astronomical I remember in those times, you know, for for offices, for example, you might have the um, CEO at the top of the building that had these amazing offices that were over the top. You might have one or two restaurants that were, you know, quite incredible, but there was nothing like it is now in, you know, the, the aspirations people have for the detail in their interiors is really quite extraordinary and you know where it used to be totally okay to paint a beautiful color on a wall you know there's much more of a kind of aspiration for that wall to be totally finished and detailed and colored and special materials and Mm. um it's a very it's 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 really different and it takes it's design takes a lot longer now than it used to because the aesthetic has so much more detail in in it it's kind of like i don't know where we how we've been 
unknowingly really smart as professionals to actually make our our own profession. We've really kind of feathered, you know, in some ways by <laughs> doing what we loved, we've kind of fed the, don't you yeah, think, yeah, fed yeah. the aspirations. It's mm. It's been super interesting time to be around, you know, in a, a lot of ways exciting, but a lot of ways it's not been that great. Obviously it's not great for the environment and it's not great for, you know, so many of the other things that are happening, but it's been an interesting time. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I've my clients over the, overseas all watch the local project YouTube channel, and 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 they're kind of all just like, "What's going on in Australia? Like, what's with what's with these houses you guys are, are kind of all building down there and that sort of thing?" And and we're going, you know, we don't all live in those sorts of houses, but yeah, it is pretty amazing, kind of the the way the the kind of the property culture and the architecture culture has kind of gone uh, in, in Australia, but. It's interesting that your clients are sort of, well, not interesting. It's pretty expected, I suppose, that they're kind of, there's there's a little bit of a rejection of that kind of culture, right? And kind of going like, we're not that. There's sort of. Yeah, you know what? And they call it sometimes, you know, sometimes if we, if we're, we're, we come up with some ideas, this is what I experience. Sometimes you come up with ideas and they're savvy enough to sort of say, no, I don't, I, I made, I don't want that sort of stuff, you know? And it's, the, the design awareness of people, not just at that level, but throughout, you know, our you know community now is particularly compared to say 15 20 years ago is absolutely extraordinary and that's that's image based but you know from the amount of you know pictures and images people can see on social media and whatsoever but our clients do they do tend to really expect something that's very unique and that's what we want it's like it is a very like-minded sort of relationship in that sense and that we we sort of that's what we want to do as I say, we don't really have an interest in doing just the expected sort of high-end kind of residential stuff. And it's great to work with people who are really sort of driving that as well. I guess like in terms of thinking about some of the different topics that we've touched on today, I'd just be curious if there's anything that you guys think other architects, interior designers, or even sometimes yourself as architects, interior designers, tend to worry about or overthink that perhaps don't really matter. <laughs> oh, my God. We could write a book about yeah. it. We've got so many of those. Oh, I mean, yeah. I, I said to John, I think it was the other day, you, I go through these swings where I look at a project, you know, and it might be getting close to the end and I um, will be like, oh, my God, I'm really excited. It looks great. It looks really good. And then in the, wake up in the middle of the night and go, oh, my God, that looks shit. That's really – how did I do that? Why did I think that was good? That's not good. Um, and it's, you know, you go up and down and up and down till you see, you know, the, the sort of – you you really worry about, you know, someone's trusted you so much with everything. Have you really done everything? Is You know, is it right? But it's funny when I said that to John, I think he, he was like, course i feel like that all the time yeah all you know the time. it's like I think it's very normal to natural. feel feel like you're not sure if it's going to be amazing or not it's a very natural if you just think that it's going to be incredible every time it's probably not going to be and 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 the reverse of that if you really don't think if you're feeling negative you can just lighten up because it's probably going to be okay it's yeah. really it's important to understand that even at the point in our career where we still worry about things whether things are either really great or actually really terrible. But I really worry I hope, about I like it. to think they, they turn out all right. Yeah. And the other thing I think um, the other thing that I, I think people worry about, particularly young designers, is they, they hold on to a design as though it's the only solution. Mm. And they get very upset at being rejected. And they think that this design is the design. I've thought about it. I've come up with it. It's the right solution. And it really takes, I think, a mature mind or a sort of a, um, a, an experienced kind of designer to sort of realise 
there is not one solution. You can cope with change. You can decide things on the spot as well. The, the flexibility of your idea is paramount, and you and that's the strength of an idea. If it can if it can be flexible enough to twist and turn and sort of turn into something else, but don't don't hold on to it as though it might break because that's probably not going to be the right idea in the first place. It's actually it's going to be much better result if it's more fluid and isn't going to break in the first place. That's right. It's just an idea. Loosen it's it up. It's just an idea. Yeah. yeah, it's just an idea. And if someone tells you it's a terrible idea, defend it, of course. Don't just be, don't just sort of give in. But you've got to understand that there's plenty of solutions. Yeah. I can't try to think of some of the other things that we worry about all the time. Probably, you know, making sure that all the fees come in and you get paid. That's probably going to be something that you always worry about. Oh my God, is that big fee out there? And uh, what if what if they go bust or, you know, you have all yeah. those worries. But generally I think those things, you know, tend to um, all work out in the wash. I don't think we've ever had a big issue with a client going bust or anything where we yeah. have ended up in um, any sort of issue about that. I'm trying to think what, I mean, I think, I think you do worry about your team. You worry about if you miss something in, you know, I think, I think as employers now you have a lot more responsibility to duty of care with your people than you did, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So I think it's trying to stay in tune with those things, but that's probably one of the things that we take with a a lot more seriousness now than we did before. Mm. And that's probably about taking care with that. But that's not something to not worry about. I think yeah, I was going to say you sort of about. jumped into my follow-up question, which was <laughs> well, like, what we... the last thing I wanted to say is that it, you, um, it is just interior design. Oh that's, yeah, that's a, that's another one that we just also worry it's about. The when, we're, in school. when we're running around helter skelter, stressing out, like just going absolutely ballistic, not thinking straight, being you know abrupt and rude, and all this, you just got to take take stock. We are only talking about interior design. We do actually have an internal joke then at that point, go kitchens, bathrooms, colour. Because <laughs> <laughs> you do you do have to think there's, people are doing much more. Bigger, bigger problems in the world. Way more important, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any final thoughts, guys, in terms of uh, any of the topics we've spoken about today? I've been asking all the questions, but I, I guess um, is there any last things on your mind that stem from some of the things we spoke about today? Um, I think, uh, look, I think the biggest thing is just doing, you know, as a, as a designer or architect, you've got to do the thing that feels right, right for you. And you can listen to everything that we say and you might think, oh my God, that's bullshit. That's not what I'm into. And that's actually good because everything should be different and everyone should be following their own heart and doing what they, you know, you know, in your guts, what feels right to you and follow, I think, follow that. Something that I really believe in is that time does improve your design. That's another thing is that you, you, if you spend more time on it, if you do more work on it, by and large, it will get better and better and better. And it's just something that we've learned and we often talk about that if you if you get pushed into deadlines that are unreasonable and you have to get stuff out, often it's just not as good. And if you if you need to sort of hold your ground on timeframes and say, I need this amount of time, and certainly it gets easier as you get older, it's not always easy for younger designers, but design does improve them, I think, generally the more you work on it and, it, and you can refine it. And you will, you will realise when it's reached its, its conclusion, but it's very disheartening when you see things that you've done where you realise, I just didn't put enough time into that. And it's, it's obvious there's skills involved in that, obviously, but, that, but time is a really, really important factor to a designer and, and managing that properly. Jonathan and Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank Thanks, you very Dave. much, Dave. 
That was my conversation with Jonathan Richards and Kirsten Stanisic from Richard Stanisic. If you'd like to learn more about their studio, you can visit them at richardsstanisic.com.au or follow them on Instagram at richards underscore Stanisic. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time. Thank you.